the title for this evening's talk is The Conditioned and the Unconditioned. One of the many things that the Buddha realized after his enlightenment was that all of existence was conditioned by three characteristics. One of the characteristics is that of impermanence, that everything is changing. The second is that all of existence is unreliable. And the third is that it is selfless. It has a selfless nature. I want to explore these three a bit and show their interconnectedness and how understanding each one profoundly changes our life. Beginning with the first one, impermanence. In Pali, in the language that the teachings of the Buddha came to us in, it's called anicca, anicca. And why is this concept of impermanence so important? Why is it considered to be so profound? We might say that, yes, change or impermanence, that things don't stay the same. This is obvious. It's obvious to any of us. It doesn't seem very profound at all. If we were to walk down the street and to ask somebody, anybody on the street, is there change in life? Anyone would say, sure, there's change. It's obvious. But the thing is that we don't really seem to live with this wisdom. We don't live with the understanding of this changing nature of reality. Unless we truly understand the importance of impermanence, it's difficult to let go. It's difficult to really let things change, to really let go. And letting go is the key to freedom. It's really the key to our freedom. Because suffering and pain comes from holding on. It comes because we hold on to that which is changing, that which is always changing. And we don't know that we're holding on. It's like trying to blockade a flowing river to try to keep it from flowing to the ocean, the ocean being its ultimate home. We may temporarily be able to put up some block for that river, but the power of the river is going to break through. And in the same way, we try to block the flow of the conditions of life but we find that we can't stop the flow. We can't change things. Everything that is born, everything that comes into being, comes into birth, passes away. Nothing remains. Everything that comes into existence passes away. Life is just a set of changing conditions. Sometimes we see the change happen very gradually, maybe like a person's life. We'll see that something happens over what seems to be a long period of time. They're born, 
there's a, for many of us, there's a long life and then we pass away. We might say, see a, our careers, our, our job, we might have them for a long time, but then at some point something changes, we move on to something else. It might be that favorite piece of clothing that we have and that all of a sudden we see the little tear or the, the shredding at the collar and you say, oh, you know, not going to have that much longer. Or those trees, particularly these trees on the front lawn here, they seem like they'll be there, for, they have been there forever, they will be there forever. But they are also one day going to pass away. Sometimes things pass very quickly. And we can see this in our meditations, you know, like a thought. A thought is born in the mind, and then it's there for a moment or two, and then it dissolves, it disappears, it's no longer there. Or a raindrop, a raindrop comes into manifestation, it appears, does what it's supposed to do, drops away, and it's no longer a raindrop. We've been listening to the birds while we've been here, the bird songs. We sit in the silence, we sit in the quiet, and all of a sudden there's just this sound that bursts forward, bursts into life. It stays for some time and then it dissolves, it passes away, it's no longer there. Never to come again in that same form. The sound of the bell. Coming out of the silence and then dissolving back in. A short poem. The moon waxes merely to wane. An overripe peach begins to rot. A wave crests, then ebbs. In all things, when there is no longer room for advance, decay sets in. We can see this, we can really see this for ourselves, that the, the forms are ever-changing. Nothing stays the same. Conditions come together and then they dissolve. And then there's a new set of conditions that arise. Just momentary conditions appearing and then disappearing. And in every moment they're unique. It's a unique condition that appears for us and then it dissolves. If you look at your own mind, I mean, look at your mind today. How many times has it changed? I mean, how many worlds have you passed through today? Sometimes you may have felt quite dull. Sometimes you might have been very clear and bright and open. Maybe times being very agitated and other times being very quiet sometimes going into thoughts that seem to go way back into the past, and then the mind just clears and open, always changing. And the body, looking at the conditions of this body, how many times has it changed? Maybe just today, or maybe over the last few days? Sometimes feeling very heavy and tired, like you weigh 300 pounds. And then other times, very light, 
and full of energy. You know, like you could just fly like a bird. Some, for some people, sometimes feeling quite sick, you know, headachy and colds and cramped and sore throat. And then it passes, it changes. Conditions always shifting. Sometimes at the emotional level, sometimes feeling very loving and connected and sometimes very tight and angry. Now moving and shifting through these changes. Just like the nature, just like the weather outside, sometimes it's rainy and dark, sometimes it's bright and sunny. It seems that we go through similar weather patterns, similar changes within our own being. And that's because we are nature. We are actually not any different than nature itself. We live and operate by the same laws that the nature does that we see outside of ourselves. This is nature, changing nature. Can't hold on to anything. And where have all the experiences gone that we've had while we've been here? Where has the lunch gone that we had today? You know, whether you enjoyed it or you didn't enjoy it, disappears. Where is that pain that you had in your knee or in your back? You know, where where is that, that strong emotional release that you had? I have one teacher who, who said, it's back there with Alexander the Great. You know? It's gone. Where is it? You know, it's not just gone like two hours ago. It's gone. <laughs> Never to be retrieved again. But when we don't reflect deeply on the nature of change, on the nature of these changing experiences, we can spend our lives chasing after more experiences. We chase after experiences thinking that they're going to bring us some kind of lasting fulfillment, something that we can hang on to, something that we can call our own. We can see it sometimes when we, have, we want to create the ultimate fantasy. You know, so many people play this out in their lives. They have some really good idea, and then they want to bring that into manifestation, play that out, so that they can get some kind of real uh, happiness or thrill from that. But where does it go? We may experience that for some time. It may give us that thrill, that pleasure and then it's gone. Movie directors get paid for this kind of playing out these ultimate fantasies. There's this movie out right now that I'm sure you're aware of. It's getting a lot of publicity. It's called Titanic. It's somebody's ultimate fantasy in creating this movie. It cost $200 million. This was a serious fantasy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this one that got played out. But I think that actually it was, a, it was a pretty good bet because it's the highest grossing movie ever in all of movie history. I think it's grossed something like $800 million so far. 
some people feel they need to play these things out. No. But where is it? You know, you go to the movie. I went to the movie. <laughs> I found it was extremely exciting and wonderful. And where is it? It's gone. You know, these experiences, they leave us empty-handed. They leave us unfulfilled. There's no lasting fulfillment that comes. But because we don't see this temporary, unsatisfactory nature, we hold on. We hold on for dear life. This reflection on impermanence motivated the Buddha to seek enlightenment. This is a very strong reflection for the Buddha. When he was still a prince in the palace, he said to himself, Why should I, who am subject to old age, disease, and death, seek that which is also subject to old age, disease, and death? What is it going to give me if I seek these things? There must be something else besides that which is just going to disappear, that which is going to die. This is what brought the Buddha to his enlightenment, to find that which is not affected by birth and death. That's what brought the Buddha to understand and know that which is called the deathless. There's a story from the time of the Buddha which exemplifies this a bit. It's about um, a nun called Kema, who was one of the first uh, Buddhist nuns in the time of the Buddha. Kema was one of the two women responsible for running the first community of nuns. In the text, she was considered to possess the greatest insight of all the nuns. She came from a ruling family and she was very, very beautiful. Her skin was said to be, her skin was said to be the color of pure gold. She became the chief consort of King Bimbisara. She was his favorite lover among many wives, other lovers, female servants, and slaves. It gives you a sense of what the time was like during that time. (laughs) Because of her high status as the king's chief consort, and especially on account of her incredible beauty, she was very conceited. When the Buddha would visit the royal court, he would speak against beauty and pleasure, and Kama decided she had no interest in hearing him preach. But when the court poets composed songs on the loveliness of the hermitage where the Buddha was staying, she was curious to see it and arranged a visit. Indeed, the woods and the gardens were exquisite, but when she was led before the Buddha, he made an image appear before her of a goddess far more beautiful than she, and showed that woman passing from youth to middle age and finally to old age with broken teeth, gray hair, and wrinkled skin. Will it not be the same for me, thought Kema. The vision deeply impressed 
on her the truth of impermanence. Then the Buddha, who knew her thoughts, said that people devoted to physical beauty were bound to the world, while those who saw through this attachment were free. When he had finished speaking, Kema was enlightened, as happens in the texts when anybody spoke to the Buddha and had some kind of great insight, they were enlightened. It seems that times have changed a bit, <laughs> or maybe we just don't have a Buddha, I don't know. <laughs> After this, of course, she left the king and she became a nun. <clears throat> It's not bad or it's not wrong that we hold on to these things of our life. It's just what we do. It, we don't see clearly. We don't know what we're doing. We don't know that we're holding on. My teacher, one of my teachers, Sharon Salzberg, tells a story of how this was true for her not so long ago in in New England, where the center is of the Insight Meditation Society, the, during the three-month course where, where we have uh, quite a wonderful uh, intensive retreat every year, the retreat starts in the middle of September, just as the trees are starting to, to show their beautiful display of colors. And so the yogis who go into retreat go in just as this is starting to, to brighten and this just gets stronger and stronger and stronger until about um, middle of October or the third week in October, and then the leaves just start fading away, and then by the first of November or so, they start to drop off the trees, and the trees become very bare. And it's just really exquisite for the yogis to go through this incredible changing conditions of this it's really one of the most magnificent displays that you can see of these maple and oak trees changing colors into red and yellow and purples and blues, and it's just vibrant with uh, fireworks. Well, Sharon tells the story of having a friend who was going to come and visit her um, who had never been to New England and never seen the changing colors during the, during the retreat. And... Um, she wasn't sure whether her friend was going to make it just before the, tree, the, the leaves were falling off the trees. And it was about um, just getting to be about the last week in October, and she was, her friend hadn't arrived yet. And she was walking down the lane, and she was looking at the leaves, and she was saying, don't change, don't change. Just stay on the trees a little bit longer so my friend can see. And she was just walking down, telling the trees not to change their colors and not to drop off the tree so that she, her friend really would be able to have this experience. She so desperately wanted her friend to have this experience. <laughs> and then, of course, she realized what she was doing. She was feeling the, you know, the incredible contraction of not wanting winter to come. She didn't want the seasons to change. And she was holding that in her body as she would walk down the lane. Don't change, don't change. And we sometimes, we often do this. We want to have the experience. We want somebody else to have the experience. So we hold on, maybe not realizing what it is 
that we're doing. So the Buddha saw that this factor of change is one of the characteristics of our existence, that all things change. Everything is going to to pass away. And because of this, nothing is satisfying. Nothing is going to give us the satisfaction. It's not going to give us anything that we can hold on to. Everything in this way is unreliable. This is the second characteristic of existence. The first one being impermanence, the second being the unreliability, that there's nothing that we can hold on to. Everything is unreliable in this way. We can feel into the truth of this. We can feel into how this has meaning for us in our lives. Look how we hold on to things. Look how we don't want things to change. Thinking that things are going to bring us some kind of security, some kind of contentment. We think we want things to stay the same. People that we love, our partners, relationships, the way relationships are, maybe our parents. Don't change. Don't go away. I remember my mother tells the story of when she had her two little babies. I was already seven years old, and she had two more, and she talks about how she loves the little babies. She loves little babies, but they don't stay little babies for very long. They grow so quickly, and she just she wanted to hold on to that time when they were so little and so innocent and so vulnerable, but they grew faster than she wanted them to grow things changing. We don't want it to change. The things we love, we don't want them to change. Maybe our house where we live or our cars that we have. We don't want our bodies to change. We don't want our youth to go away. But all of a sudden we see the gray hairs showing up on our heads. (laughs) Funny that, no? My partner... (laughs) My partner looks in the mirror and goes, look at these gray hairs. Where are they coming from? You know, or our eyes, you know, glasses. You know, I had perfect vision. Perfect vision. And somebody told me when I was, when I was in my 30s, they said, just wait until you get into your 50s. You're not going to be able to see so well anymore. And I said, that's not true. No way I'm not going to lose this vision. It's absolutely immaculate. I have the best vision anybody's ever had. (laughs) Well, glasses. Mm -hmm. Things change. Oh, when we have those pleasant mind states, you know, we feel happy. We feel excited. I wish I could always feel this way. But it doesn't last. When I was in India in 1990, I met this amazing man who turned out to be my guru. And while I was with him for a few years, I was in these most amazing, blissful states. Very strong, blissful states. And I was quite sure that this would be my, my state of mind for the rest of my life. I was just going to be floating in bliss. <laughs> I really did think that. <laughs> 
but it didn't last. That state of mind, that blissful state of my being, it didn't last quite the way I thought it would. When we like what's happening, we want it to be forever. But when we don't like it, we want it to change. When we don't like what's going on, we want it to change. We try to get life to go the way we want. You know, we, when we like it, we want it to be there. When we don't like it, we want it to go. We really get into this kind of manipulation and control. But life impinges. Life has its own way. And we are surprised. It's like we're surprised when things happen differently than, than the way we want them to happen. Sometimes we can feel shocked or dismayed so disappointed. We lose what we love. We're separated from what we love. We don't get what we want. And we feel angry. We feel hurt. We feel betrayed. Life doesn't go the way we want. And we seem to take it so personally. I mean, that's the funny thing. We actually take it personally. Like it's me who's doing something wrong, or that you're doing something wrong. That life isn't actually turning out quite the way you'd like. We say, why me? Why is it happening to me like this? And we can wallow in our self-pity. We can wallow in our pain. But it's not so personal. I think we're starting to get that sense, perhaps, that things are not so personal. Can we feel into the truth that we are nature and we're subject to the same laws as all of nature? And in order not to take things so personally, in order not to take things so seriously, we need to reawaken to our true nature. We need to find out who we truly are. We need to realize that we're not so separate, not so isolated from all the rest of life. We must remember how to let go. One of our strongest attachments, one of the places it's the most difficult to let go is the attachment to the belief in ourselves as separate isolated individuals that somehow we are different from the rest of nature that we are isolated from all of life we believe ourselves to be a fixed entity that moves through space and time. I am born and I will die. We think we travel through this time canal. And some even believe that they're transported into the next life or that they've had past lives, that this entity just keeps traveling through. Yet, when we look closely at our experience, we really can see very directly that 
things change. We see the changing nature of our thoughts, of our feelings, of the sensations, of sounds, of sights, of forms. We see this appearing and disappearing, appearing and disappearing moment to moment. And when it's not seen clearly, we superimpose an idea of self on top of a reality that is actually selfless. When we look, we can't find a static, fixed entity anywhere. What is fixed? Where are we seeing anything that's fixed? Thoughts come and go, feelings come and go, forms come and go, not really belonging to anyone. Everything in the mind, everything in the body is changing. It's a changing process. Thoughts, feelings, sensations, emotions, sights, sounds, changing. Does anything last? Does anything really continue? How can we say then, it's me? How can we say, that's me? How can we pick out one thing, one thought, one sensation, one sight, one emotion, and say, that's me? What is it that gives rise to that? Because what comes into existence passes away. As soon as we assert something about ourselves, I am a loving person, I'm a depressed person, I am an angry person, we can also see that that is has, it also isn't true. That there are times, as Jan and I was talking last night, there are times when we see that we're not depressed, or we're not angry, or we're not loving. So how do we pick out which one is actually me? How do I know which one is me? We think the experience is referring back to a fixed, unchanging self. But when we look, we see that there's nothing fixed. Is anything fixed in this entire world? My friend, when I was teaching in India, my friend Fred uh, told a story about this Swiss clock to to kind of exemplify this changing, unfixed reality that we live in. And I love the story, and then I was in uh, Switzerland last week visiting him, and I saw the clock. And so when I was thinking about this talk and getting this talk together, I thought, yes, I want to tell about this clock, because it seems to just exemplify so well this truth of this, this unfixed reality. And downtown Bern, and all of Bern in Switzerland, they have wonderful clock towers. And there's this one right downtown, it's quite a very large clock tower, and it's not that high. And it has a wonderful, big, big, huge round face. And what happens is that uh, on the hour, when the hand strikes the hour, there's a mechanism which sets off three or four puppets that go around and round, 
and they do some kind of a song and dance, and then another puppet comes out and hits a bell, and a chime goes off, and then the chime hits something else, and it's this great, wonderful kind of everything knocking off everything else, a wonderful invention, creativity. And because there's so many gears and so many mechanisms working that affect one affects every other one, if you were to drop a pebble in one of the gears, just in one of the gears, the whole thing would come to a halt. Nothing would be able to move. Everything is so interconnected that every piece is depending on every other piece. And one little entity that attempts to interfere with that stops the whole process. Nothing can move. Everything is absolutely static. Everything comes to a halt. No more movement. No more creativity. No more potential. In a way we might call it death. Nothing's alive. You take that pebble out and everything starts moving again. Everything dependent on everything else. This is the world we live in. This pulsating, vibrating, interconnected world. Everything moving, everything shifting, everything alive. It's not possible for anything to be fixed, anything to be static, or everything would come to a stop. There would be no world. There'd be no living beings. There'd be no life at all. This is the third characteristic of existence. It's called the characteristic of selflessness. No solid, separate self. Everything connected to everything else. Just conditions, just conditions appearing and disappearing, changing, shifting, moment to moment. No matter whether it's pleasant, whether it's unpleasant, no matter how ferocious even something may appear in our own minds, it's nothing really. But conditions appearing momentarily, Conditions strung together, giving that illusion of some solidity, some density, some continuity. But this is the illusion of our minds. This is from one of the Buddhist texts. All things conditioned are unstable, impermanent, fragile in essence as an unbaked pot. Like something borrowed or a city founded on sand, they last a short while only. They are inevitably destroyed like plaster washed off in the rains, like the sandy bank of a river. They are conditioned and their true nature is frail. They are like the flame of a lamp, which rises suddenly and soon goes out. They have no power or endurance, like the wind or like foam, unsubstantial, essentially feeble. But the sage knows 
what is true reality and sees all conditioned things as empty and powerless. As we deepen in our practice and begin to understand more clearly impermanence, unreliability, and the selfless nature of things, we start to relate to ourselves in a different way. Instead of being so tightly identified with our thoughts, with our feelings, with our actions, this sense of I or the sense of ourselves begin to occur in a much more spacious field it still plays out, the sense of I still plays out, but we're not as caught up in this idea of me or I. Our emotions, our thoughts, our sensations in the body, they're still happening. They arise due to past conditions affecting conditions in the present. But this sense of a constricted self begins to drop away And as the identification loosens, we're not as frightened, we're not as defending, we're not hiding, we're not censoring so much because we're not taking it all so personally, we're not taking it so seriously, we're not resisting, but really accepting what we are. We can be more allowing of our limitation. We can be more spacious and feel more space in ourselves. And that allows us to be more available to be here and to make contact with whatever presents itself. If we can let go of the belief in how we know ourselves to be, we discover something wholly new, something that is not confined by the idea of who we think we are, who I am. This thought of who we think we are, or how I take myself to be, can be very confining, very narrowing. And as we let go of this, we start to feel into something new, something newly discovered, And as we let go into this, we begin to trust. We begin to trust into an intelligence that is something other than this small little thinking mind can understand. Something much greater than this intellect, this intellect that we usually rely on. Something much vaster, something much more profound something which we might say is directing this show, (laughs) but it's very difficult to comprehend because we're trying to comprehend it with these (laughs) tiny little brains of ours. This brain cannot comprehend. And because we can't comprehend it, we call it the great mystery. I love that word for it because it's all a great mystery. And it's something which is not conditioned, something which is beyond birth and death.
This is from Dai Kukushi. I think he's a Japanese Zen master, but I'm not sure. There is a reality even prior to heaven and earth. Indeed, it has no form, much less a name. Eyes fail to see it. It has no voice for ears to detect. To call it mind or Buddha violates its nature, for it then becomes like a visionary flower in the air. It is not mind nor Buddha, absolutely quiet, and yet illuminating in a mysterious way, it allows itself to be perceived only by the clear-eyed. It is dharma, truly beyond form and sound. It is Tao having nothing to do with words. Wishing to entice the blind, the Buddha has playfully let words escape his golden mouth. Heaven and earth are ever since filled with entangling briars. Oh, my good worthy friends gathered here, if you desire to listen to the thunderous voice of the Dharma, exhaust your words, empty your thoughts, for then you may come to recognize this one essence. There is a reality there is a reality even prior to heaven and earth. Can we begin to trust into this? Can we begin to let go? I don't think you would come here if you weren't, if there wasn't some readiness within yourself to begin to explore these unknown boundaries, these unknown territories, of our being. Can we trust into something that is much more profound and let go of the struggle, let go of that which keeps us bound and struggling? Even for one moment, letting go and trusting that we will be held. We will be held. We let go and let be. Whatever we're experiencing, let go into that, whether we're feeling grief, whether we're feeling boredom, excitement, or joy, whether we're feeling confusion, whatever is, let go into it. Feel it, allow it. Let it be. And when we can let things be without the struggle, and trusting into something which is more profound and greater than we are, we allow an inner healing to take place, and we honor an unfolding process. There's a haiku, three-line Japanese poem. Simply trust. Don't the leaves flutter down just like that? Simply trust. (laughs) Don't the leaves flutter down just like that? This is the invitation to us. 
the invitation and the reminder to you that we can let go and we will be held. It's only fear that obstructs the knowing of that. Let's sit together just for a few moments. 